You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Wow, let's try it again. Good morning, church. Great. If all the introverts could come back from the washrooms, we'll get started. I like how some of you put your name tags inside under your jacket so you could see whether, yeah, I'll meet that person. And then you kind of open it up. That was pretty classy. Appreciate that. For those of you who don't know, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors at CA Church. I pastor our uh, town center campus. And every once in a while, they let me out and I get to come up here and preach as well. Uh, As of a week ago, I wasn't going to be preaching at all this morning, not even at town center. And then some some pastors got sick, some had children. And so I ended up um, getting to do all four services today. So you look at me and you look at my hair and you think, wow, he's got style. No, that's how I woke up. And I was like, I, I got to do this today. <laughs> All right. There's something for the 90s fans. All right. I am excited to be with you guys this morning and uh, to continue in our series on Abraham. So I'm going to invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, verses 9 to 18. You grab your your phones or your Bibles, and out of respect for God's word, I'm going to invite you to stand. And I'm going to be reading out of the NIV this morning. Genesis 15, starting at verse 9. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all of these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure." When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. God of grace, I pray you would open our hearts and minds to speak to us this morning. And many of us, we come in here and we have, uh, we have different stories that attach us to, to outside of these walls. And we have concerns at work and in families and in our relationships. And we need to be centered in your beautiful narrative. We need to be centered in your beautiful story. So use your scripture to anchor us in your story this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Well, um, the, the, the fun part here is this wonderful text about blood and cutting up animals. Um, I'm also, uh, this morning, I just came from preaching down at Town Center, which is our family service. 
which we thought, what would be a great text as we head into Halloween for the kids? Just cut up some animals and just toss them around. That would be great. Um, I'm guessing most of you, as you read this, you're not thinking, oh, we don't need much explanation. Let's just give a benediction and we'll move on. We'll actually sit in this for a bit. What a weird way to have a ceremony with God. What a weird, what a weird devotional time that Abram had this night. I'm wondering if you woke up and Sarah went, so how did it go with God last night? Well, I started journaling and then we ended up cutting up animals and it got really crazy. But what is going on here? Well, Abram has been made these promises by God and he wants, he wants a guarantee. He wants to know for sure. I mean, all of us, Abram as well with his nephew Lot and other people in his life had, had learned what it was like to be promised something and to miss out on it. And all of us here would understand what it's like to have someone promise us something or expect something from someone and then they let us down and the difficulty of trying to trust again. And often what we do is we try to throw the, we throw the same uh, understanding of relationship and trust on God. Well, Abram's been made these promises by God, and he wants a guarantee that they're going to come about. Because as he looks at the world right now, he has a hard time understanding how he's going to have a whole bunch of descendants. He and his wife are mature. They're older. The doctor has said it's probably not going to happen. And so he's trying to figure out how kids are going to come out of this relationship. He looks at the land that God has promised him. And it's filled with people who are not excited to leave. And they're an evil people. So how in the world can God make this kind of promise? And we've seen that, that this insecurity in Abram has caused some problems. Uh, we learned a few weeks ago he went down to Egypt. And he lied and said that his wife was actually his sister and that got them both into a lot of trouble and I said this in the last service um, they don't say it in the text but it's obvious when 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 someone goes somewhere and offers their sister and gets paid for it that's not a good thing it's a very bad thing and that's why there's no heroes in scripture except Jesus. So be careful when you buy your kids a hero Bible. Because nobody's a hero in scripture except Jesus. Let's keep him at, at the forefront. But Abram needs a guarantee. Because when he doesn't listen to God, he ends up making a lot of mistakes. But what Abraham finds out and what you and I can find comfort in is that we worship a covenantal God. We worship a God who keeps his promises and commits to us far more than we ever commit to him. We worship a covenantal God. Now, God's repeated his promises to Abram a few times. We, we read in the text today, we see in chapter, uh, we saw back in chapter 12, that God has told Abram that he will be blessed. His descendants will be many, and all of humanity will be blessed. All nations in the world will be blessed through his offspring. offspring. But Abram has two burning questions. As he looks around him, and he doesn't see any of these promises coming true yet, he has two questions. First in verse 2 and 3, he says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give? me since I remain childless. And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. It wasn't uncommon in the ancient Near East if you had no children to kind of elect a proxy child who would take care of you in your old age and in, and in response you would give them um, 
all your, all your wealth and everything you owned. So that's his first question. How are you going to deal with this childlessness problem? The second thing in verse 8, he says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it, of, of this land that you have promised as an inheritance? In other words, how can I have confidence in these promises if, I'm not, if I don't see them happening and I'm not necessarily going to see this happen? Do any of us ever walk through that idea? Jesus, I see the promises of scripture. I look at the world and I don't see how you're going to figure this out. I don't see how you're going to piece this back together. I think this is beyond redemption. And what happens often is we start trying to help God out in some of those things. Rather than waiting on God, we just go ahead and then we ask for his blessing stamp on it. And we saw that when Abram went down to to Egypt. Um, I, I get this picture in mind whenever I think of us trying to help God out. It's kind of like, I got this. Can I help do this? And then it's just God has a lot of cleanup afterwards. So God says, first of all, you will have a child of your own flesh and bone. You don't need a proxy. I like Eleazar. He's a nice guy, but he is not going to be your offspring. And so in the midst of all this, and in verse 5, again, we see God, he, he takes him outside. This is not up there. And he said, look up at the sky. Count the stars. In other words, you you can't count the stars. Um, And then he said, so shall your offspring be. And in response to that, in the middle of of doubt, in response to that in verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. That, that phrase is quoted several times in the New Testament. In Romans 4, in Galatians, Paul uses this idea. To describe that we are saved by grace, by our belief and our trust in God and in Christ, rather than anything we can pull off. But what I find interesting about verse 6 is it's sandwiched between two questions of doubt. In verse 2 and in verse 8, Abram is basically going, but how? How in the world are you going to pull this off? But yet in the middle of that, he's credited with righteousness. Well, what does that tell us? Our faith is not based on the height or the depth or the strength of our doubt, but on, on where our trust lies. Trust and understanding are not the same thing. You can trust and still have a lot of questions. In fact, almost the entirety of the book of Psalms is based on it. If your worship pastor ever gets past those first two verses that are all great, and then it turns into like destruction, if you look at those lamenting Psalms, you'll find that we are actually encouraged to bring our doubts and our concerns to God. Because even in doing that, we're proclaiming you're the one who can do something about this. And that happens with Abram as well. Trust and understanding are not the same thing. A couple weeks ago, our missions team from town center headed down to, uh, to Mexico, and we flew from Vancouver, well, then to Calgary, and then down to San Diego before we crossed the border. Um, we all put our trust in the plane. Well, some of us put more trust in it than other people did. Some of them, like, left their fingerprints inside. But most of us had full trust in the plane. I would venture to say none of us understood the plane. To me, I'm just strapping myself to a big hollow bullet and flying through the air. But I trusted it was going to get me from one place to the other, even though I had all sorts of questions about how a plane works. Abram has questions, but he still trusts. And then in order to make an agreement that, that Abram would never forget, 
It says in verse 9, the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old. That was the prime of their life of, of animals, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all of these to him. He cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. This sounds very strange to modern ears. But it would not have been foreign to those who first heard scripture. And we always have to remind ourselves, scripture was written for us, but it was not written to us. What did the first people think of when they saw this? Well, they would have been familiar with covenant ceremonies. It was not uncommon in the ancient Near East for kings and vassals, people to make a commitment that that would last a lifetime where kings would say, I will care for you. And the vassal would say, I will serve you and I will live under your reign faithfully. And they would make a covenant covenant or literally cut a covenant together. And how the ceremony worked is you would take these animals, you would cut them in half, you would place them on either side of kind of a a small ravine or a ditch so that all the blood would drain down into this ditch. And the two people making the covenant, cutting the covenant together, would walk through that together. Yes, their feet would get bloody. Yes, it would be a mess. And the idea was... They were saying in in that ceremony, may I become like these animals if I break this covenant. So I don't know if your neighborhood has a competition for the scariest Halloween front yard, but you would win if you set this up in your front yard. Everybody, come on, come on in. We'd also make the news, and Sam and I might get on there, so please don't do it. But that was the idea. It was a, a glorified version of if I lie, stick a needle in my eye, or, or, or a pinky swear. This is the difference between covenants and contracts. Contracts just last as long as you feel like it, or you think it's a benefit to the both of you. A covenant is lifelong and binding. In this case, forever. It wasn't everyday stuff. This didn't just happen at the market when you were buying a bag of peanuts. I do want to try this at home. The next time my son says, can I borrow the car? I'll be like, well, I don't know. Do you have a heifer and some goats? I would love to try that out. But to cut a covenant was a very serious matter. And it was meant to bind the two parties together for as long as they existed. And obviously it was meant to carry a heavy price for those who would break it. Now, what what is interesting in this story is that Abram falls asleep in verse 12. He cuts up the animals and then he has a snooze. I'm get, I mean, I've never cut up a heifer or some goats. Uh, I'm guessing it's tiring work. The language here actually, though, is similar to Genesis 2.21, where God actually causes Adam to sleep before he takes out his rib. It's almost as if God is saying, Abram, I've got this. Take a nap, Abram. And Abram has a difficult sleep because God shows him how things are going to unpack. And in verses 12 to 16, as we read, we understand, uh, we understand this to be the, the story of the Israelites and slavery in Egypt and God's deliverance eventually into the promised land. And it will include suffering and it will include doubt. It will include walking away from God. But God, as a covenantal God, will stay with his people. He will deliver them and he will bring them into their promised land. And Abram you won't even see it. It is is part of the promise you will never see, but in God's mind, because he has spoken it, it is as good as done. And then God places his own stamp on these promises by, by himself going through the covenant corridor. By himself leaving Abram on the side. As far as we know, he's still sleeping. 
And God goes through in the form of a fire pot and a torch and a flame. And these should be familiar to us. God has shown up several times in these forms, whether it be the burning bush, whether it be um, guiding the people of Israel, who would have been the first people reading this text, of, of a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night, the presence of God coming into the temple. We read Revelation, we see Mount Sinai, fire and smoke, representing God in his power and in his presence with Abraham's people. And the implication here seems to be since Abraham's sleeping on the side and God does it on his own, that God takes responsibility for the covenant and the responsibility, if it should be broken, falls on God. And so let's talk about what that means for you and I today. This is not just a story we, we teach our, goods, our kids for a good Sunday school lesson with a lot of great visuals. Because this story of Abraham, of Abram, has implications for you and I and how we relate to God through faith. The promise of Abraham is part of God's ongoing story to lead us to Christ, which is unpacked throughout the Old Testament. Who through his, his death and resurrection that we hear, read about in the New Testament would create a new community that welcomes all nations fulfilling the promise given to Abraham. That out of his offspring would come blessing for all nations. I love this. I love that when I stand up here and I give a message, I'm, I'm, talk, I'm talking to people from all different kinds of backgrounds. We may now call ourselves Canadians. Some of us may be not Canadian citizens. But as we look around the sanctuary, we are looking at the fulfillment of the blessing given to Abraham. During, during Advent down at Town Center, we have uh, each of the four readings towards Advent we have done in a different language. So last Christmas leading to Christmas, we had Romanian, Finnish, Cantonese, and Spanish. That is proclaiming the fulfillment of this promise to Abraham fulfilled through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Like, like Abram, we, we worship a covenantal God, but now being one of the nations, being a nation blessed by Abram, we also find confidence on this side of the cross. We find confidence in a covenantal Christ. We find our confidence today in a covenantal Christ. The new Testament makes it very clear that you and I are the continuation of this story. Because of Jesus. And we're a continuation in two ways. Firstly, in, in the same way that Abram was considered righteous, so are you and I. The path of being credited with righteousness, seen by God as in right relationship with him, right standing with him, is through belief, not perfection. Thank God. It is through belief and the object of our trust, not the strength of our faith. Romans 4, 23 to 25 says the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, not just for Abram, but also for us, for you and I, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Paul states clearly later in the same letter, in Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So nothing has changed. You and I are in right relationship with God when we trust him. Not when we're perfect. 
So we, are still, we still come to right relationship with God through trust, not through any sort of works we can pull off. Secondly, Abraham's story is our story because we've been welcomed into that story, as I said, that was made to Abram. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, we are the blessed nations welcomed in through Abram's descendants. Specifically, his greatest descendant, Jesus We are welcomed into the family of God. The gospel of John chapter one, verse 12 says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Again, the way into the promise of God, the promises of God, the unbreakable covenant relationship. It's not ritual. It's not perfection or argument before Abraham showed any obedience or gained any credit, any cred with God. He was called out of Ur. He was called out of his homeland, called out of a culture that he understood. And he was proclaimed righteous because he trusted God with his life. I'm so glad there's so much room within my trust in God for mistakes and doubt. Yet tethering myself to Christ in a long obedience in the same direction. When you and I come to Christ, our greatest declaration, our greatest way of receiving more of him is to say, I've got nothing. I've got nothing to bring you. Often God wants to bless us. God wants to bless us with more of himself, which is the greatest thing he could ever give us. But our hands are so full of everything else we're clasping on to find identity and hope in that there's no space left for us to receive any of him. And may his Holy Spirit pry our fingers open so we can drop those and receive some of him even this morning. Nothing in my hands I bring, the hymn writer says, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless I look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me Savior or I die. We've got nothing but you, Jesus. And when we come empty-handed, that's when we are credited with his righteousness. He's so ready to lavish it. That's the beautiful thing about coming to Jesus of being credited with righteousness before we've done anything, before we've pulled anything off. We do not live towards righteousness. We live from righteousness. We do not live to attain it. We live to proclaim it. I once was lost, but now I'm found. It's already happened. If you've given your life to Christ, if you've already placed your trust in him, if you've confessed that God has raised him from the dead. But here's the thing. If, if Abram was given a covenant as a, as a reminder and a, a confirmation that God will fulfill his promises, what do you and I have? Where do we look? Where do we look for a guarantee when our faith is shaky? When, when we start looking at our effort and we realize that is not going to cut it <laughs> instead of at a covenantal God. It, it would be nice if we just, if we came to Jesus and we were just fully sanctified. That would be great. It would be great if it was like, for a flashback to my youth, if it was like Neil from the Matrix and we just got plugged in and we went, I know sanctification. That would be fantastic. Abram had an anchor to remind himself of God's commitment to him. So every time Abram started questioning the future, he would look to his past. It's the same thing that God would do with the people of Israel. Whenever the people of Israel would doubt whether God was going to walk him, he'd go, do you remember I took you out of Egypt? Do you remember I'm the God who split the Red Sea open? I am that God. I will fulfill what I have promised. And you and I, when we doubt the promises, we doubt our own ability 
which we should, to live up to our salvation, we need to look to the covenant cut in the body of Christ. Where his blood was spilt, where he bore what we could not, where he walked through what you and I could not bear, not in the form of fire and smoke, but in the form of human flesh, representing both God and man in eternal relationship. Ephesians 2, verses 12 to 13 says this, says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You are also people of covenant. You are also people who have been welcomed in to this beautiful story. A covenant was cut for us as well. Blood was spilt for you and I as well. In Luke 22, verse 20, Jesus calls it a new covenant in his blood. An eternal covenant declaring you're in. Declaring that you are credited with righteousness because we proclaim him as our risen king. To Abraham, to Abram, God promised descendants like stars. And he says, when you doubt, remember the covenant. To you and I, he says, look to the cross. Where the promise to Abram found its height. Where the promise to Abraham met its zenith. Where the the broken covenant is not paid for by you and I, but it was paid for by Christ, God in human flesh. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I know that we're all, as I prayed earlier, I know we're all connected to stories outside of this building that that maybe we think cuts us out of the story. We mess up. We break promises to God. My life is not always an evidence to the righteousness that I've been credited with. Well, I would say you're looking at the wrong life. Don't look at your life. That's not where your credit lies. Look to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who lived a perfect life, went through death, To take on sin and death and proclaim it powerless. That is the life we look at to figure out where our promises lie. And we might say, how do I know God sees me? How do I know I'm loved? We look to the cross. How do we know he keeps his promises? How do I know his heart is for me? We look to the cross. See, when we look to the cross, we may still have questions like Abram did. How is God going to carry out his promises? How long do I need to sojourn in this world before he returns? And we can be filled with those kinds of questions, just like Abram was. But we can never look at the cross and say, God doesn't care. We can never look at the cross and say, God doesn't love me. I'm out of his story. We can never look at the cross and say, God doesn't understand. Because we worship a God with scars. He gets it. We look at the cross. We know we are seen. We know we are loved by a covenantal God who has written the story that he welcomes you and I into. The fulfillment of what he promised to Abram, which he purchased for us on the cross and declares his power through the resurrection. This is the story we're invited to plant ourselves in. Whether we come here today as a Christ follower or whether we come just seeking, that is the invitation. You want a beautiful story to place your story in? That's the story. 
There's a, there's a wonderful um, section in, in 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul talks about the, the Last Supper and w- what Jesus says in the Last Supper. And he, he, he tells us, Jesus says that we ought to continue to remember him through communion. Remember his what? Remember my what until I return. Remember my death until I return. That is the craziest verse in Scripture. That sentence makes no sense outside of the resurrection. That sentence makes no sense out of, outside of the power of a covenantal God. Remember my death until I return. That is the framework of the story of all those who look to Jesus. Of all those who want to walk in the story that Jesus has written in his blood. He's finished the story, and we are welcomed into that story. So I don't, I don't know what page you're on today. I don't know uh, what kind of mess you've left at home that you have to walk back into after this. I don't know what it looks like at work this week. Don't know what your financial issues are. But that is just the page you're on. It's maybe taking place in a larger chapter. But when you come to Christ, that is taking place in a much larger narrative, which he has already written. Which means it'll bring meaning and it'll bring hope and joy and identity even to the page you're on, even if that's a difficult page. That is the God who welcomes you in this morning. That is the covenantal God who welcomes you in. And you say, I have nothing to bring. Exactly. (laughs) We need no other argument. We need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for you and me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love this morning, this afternoon. We thank you that we are seen, we are known, we are loved. And we thank you that the basis of our salvation, the basis of our forgiveness, our hope, our identity, are not based on how well we did this week, are not based on the strength of our faith this week, but based on the object of our faith And so we come to you again today and, and like the Israelites looking for manna, we say, Jesus, just feed us today. And we're going to come to you again tomorrow and ask for you to feed us again. And we pray that we would, you would sustain us day by day by day. Only you have the words of eternal life. We have, we've got nowhere else to go. And so we come to you and we pray we would come empty handed. We pray that your Holy Spirit would counsel us and comfort us and point out those things that we need to let go of so we can tether ourselves more firmly to you. May we do that today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.